You are listening to episode 40 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher, welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. Sickness is an impediment to the body, but not to the will unless the will wants to be impeded. Lameness is an impediment to the leg, but not to the will. If you tell yourself this at every occurrence, you will find the impediment is to something else, but not to yourself. Enchiridion 9 Epictetus uses two dispreferred indifference in this lesson, and both are related to our body, sickness and lameness. Then he points out that each of these impairments presents a hindrance to our body, but not to our will. The Greek word translated as will in this passage is prohoresis, and it has deep meaning in Stoicism. Now, I discussed prohoresis briefly in episode 34. However, I think a more detailed look at this concept will be helpful. However, before we cover prohoresis, let's look at the concept of body in Stoic physics. This concept applies equally to all bodies, whether rocks, plants, animals, or humans, so it will shed some light on Enchiridion 9. In Stoicism, only bodies exist. Therefore, everything that exists is a body. All bodies are a mixture of two principles, the passive principle, which is primary matter, and the active principle, which is logos, or pneuma. The Stoic definition of a body is that which can act or that which can be acted upon. Understanding this concept in Stoicism is essential because some people confuse it with the modern version of reductive materialism. Some scholars even label the Stoics as materialists, but they do not mean materialists in the modern sense where everything is reduced to matter. As Jock Brunschwig points out in his chapter on Stoic metaphysics in the Cambridge Companion to the Stoics, the Stoic version of materialism is vitalist and teleological, in contrast to the mechanistic anti-teleological version of the Epicureans. The Epicureans were the reductive materialists in Hellenistic times. That is why it's essential to understand when scholars refer to Stoics as materialists, they do not mean like the Epicureans or modern materialists. A.A. Long argues it is misleading to describe the Stoics as materialists. Bodies in the Stoic system are compounds of matter and mind, God or Logos. Mind is not something other than body but a necessary constituent of it, the reason in matter. The Stoics are better described as vitalists. Here we see the basis of Stoic physics. Everything that exists is a body composed of matter and mind, God, Logos, or Pneuma. Therefore, humans are composed of matter and mind. Now, I'll have more to say about this in a minute, but first, let's cover the concept of prohoresis in Stoicism. Scholars use different English words to translate the Greek word prohoresis. Here are some of them. A.A. A. Long and George Long use the word will. A.A. A. Long notes that this is a favorite term in Epictetus for a human being's power of self-determination and mental disposition. The word is sometimes translated by choice, purpose, volition, or decision. But in my opinion, Long says... Will is the most natural English expression for what Epictetus seeks to convey with it. Choice is the word used by Robin Hard and John Sellers. 
And Sellers says that choice, prohoresis, is Epictetus' name for the conscious decision-making power of the commanding faculty, what might now be called the will, or I. W.A. Oldfather translates prohoresis into moral purpose, and Keith Sedan translates it into moral character. Sedan further says that prohoresis, moral character, the capacity that rational beings have for making choice and intending the outcomes of their actions, sometimes translated as will, volition, intention, choice, moral choice, or moral purpose. This faculty is understood by the Stoics to be essentially rational. It is the faculty we use to attend to impressions and give or withhold assent to impressions. Those things which are outside the scope of one's prohoresis are the a prohoreta, which are external and not in our power. Nicholas White translates this as the faculty of choice, and Robert Dobbin translates it as mind. Christopher Gill translates it as decision or choice, and in his introduction to the Robin Hard translation of the Discourses of Epictetus, notes the following. The interface between ethics and physics provides a number of important Stoic ideas, centering on the idea that the natural universe provides an informing framework for ethical life. The universe, or its shaping or divine element, does so either as a paradigm of order, structure, and rationality, or as a source of providential care for the component parts of the universe, especially human beings, who share its divine rationality. A related idea is that for human beings to exercise their capacity for rational agency is to act in line with the rational, divine direction of the universe, as well as with one's own inner, rational, guardian spirit, or daimon. This complex of ideas has a prominent place in the discourses, as also in some other writings on Stoic practical ethics, notably Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. Epictetus stresses especially the last idea, accentuating the idea of God as director of the universe and as the source of the divine rationality in us. Another theme stressed is that the capacity to exercise rational agency in developing towards virtue, expressed as our prohoresis, is a fundamental or inalienable human capacity, which is built into the natural, divinely shaped universe. End quote. Now that I've covered both body and mind as conceived by Stoics, it's important to note that the Stoics were not dualists. The mind is not something separated from matter and nature. Remember that mixture of the passive and active principles. According to the Stoics, everything that exists, all the way down, is comprised of both of those principles. Additionally, according to the Stoics, the mind is not a product of the brain. Now, this contradicts the modern materialist theories that say that consciousness is an illusion or an epiphenomenon created by the brain. Instead, for the Stoics, mind is there at the ground level, and its source is the same rationality or logos that permeates the cosmos. As I pointed out in episode 35, Pierre Haydeau makes note of this in the Inner Citadel, where he wrote, In fact, all the dogmas of Stoicism derive from this existential choice. It is impossible that the universe could produce human rationality unless the latter were already in some way present within the former. All this is consistent with a theory that is currently gaining substantial traction in the scientific and academic community. That theory is called panpsychism, and it claims that consciousness is a fundamental property of the universe. Modern panpsychism shares many similarities with the physics of the ancient Stoics. So were the Stoics panpsychists? Well, that depends on how you define panpsychism. David Skirbina, 
a senior lecturer at the Department of Philosophy at the University of Michigan and author of a definitive book on the topic titled Panpsychism in the West, certainly thinks that they were. He wrote, the Stoics were thus thoroughly panpsychist in their outlook on the world, and they developed a theory of the cosmos that was perfectly compatible with that outlook. Whether or not the Stoics should be classified as panpsychists, the idea that consciousness is a fundamental property of the universe certainly provides some support for Stoic physics. Interestingly, an increasing number of scientists, philosophers, and consciousness researchers are abandoning reductive materialism for panpsychism. Today you will find numerous prominent thinkers from various fields who are turning to panpsychism because it offers a coherent explanation for human consciousness. They are abandoning materialism because it leads us to a dead end regarding human consciousness. Do a little research of your own and you will find out that panpsychism is not a fringe idea. Those moderns who remain committed to reductive materialism and claim stoic physics is outdated and must be abandoned may soon be the ones left clinging to an obsolete theory. I will argue that if modern Stoicism's goal is to update Stoic theory based upon the best facts, we should be considering the 21st century theory of panpsychism instead of lazily relying on a 19th century version of reductive materialism. Back to Anchiridion 9. Sickness and lameness are impediments to our body. However, they do not impede our will purpose, volition, moral character, faculty of choice, or whatever English word we choose for prohoresis. Our ability to choose between what is up to us and what is not up to us is not impeded by impediments of our body. Now, obviously, we can create a list of diseases that affect the brain and inhibit or destroy our rational faculties. Epictetus is not talking about extreme cases like that. The list of sicknesses that can debilitate the body, yet leave the mind intact, however, is substantially longer. If we want an extreme example of this, the brilliant scientist Stephen Hawking provides one. The point is this. The overwhelming majority of physical ailments or disabilities we can experience leave our prohoresis intact. Therefore, they do not affect our moral character unless we choose to allow them to do so. In his book, Greek Models of Mind and Self, A.A. Long wrote, Most literally, Eudaimonia means a divinely favored dispensation. The daimon constituent of the word combines a generic sense of divinity with the notion of fate or fortune. By prefixing to daimon the word you, which qualifies an activity or condition as excellent, the Greek language has a composite term for expressing the idea of the best possible human life, a condition of flourishing, prospering, doing extremely well. Hence, eudaimonia is conventionally translated into English by happiness. But if happiness consists largely or entirely of material success and security as early Greek culture had assumed, could it ever be assured? The question was especially pressed in its ancient context because the gods of mythology were notoriously chaotic and unpredictable in the ways they conferred or withdrew their favors. The philosophers responded to this challenge by internalizing the chief condition for achieving eudaimonia. They made happiness largely or entirely dependent not on external circumstances and good fortune, but on person's mental and moral disposition. End quote. Now, Long is referring to Hellenistic philosophers in general in this passage. Obviously, in the case of Stoics, happiness was not largely, but entirely dependent on a person's moral disposition rather than circumstances. As A.A. A. Long further notes, 
coming to terms with one's internal divinity, seeking to achieve likeness to God, perfecting one's familial and social relationships, and acquiring independence from chance or fortune. These huge notions all come together in the Stoic ethical project of living in agreement with nature. This expression signifies a way of life and a mental disposition that fully conform to the norms of reason and, equivalently, to compliance with divinity." End quote. That is the lesson of Enchiridion 9. Our physical impediments are externals that are subject to chance and fortune. Our moral character is up to us. Therefore, physical impediments are not moral impediments unless we choose to seek well-being in externals. As Epictetus taught, these two elements have been mixed together in us from our conception. The body, which we have in common with the animals, and reason and intelligence, which we share with the gods. Some of us incline toward the kinship that is wretched and mortal, and only a few of us toward that which is divine and blessed. Discourses 1-3-3 We must not kid ourselves. That is the only choice we have. We can choose the path of freedom and well-being by focusing our attention on our moral character, or we can seek externals for our happiness and experience varying degrees of frustration, pain, and a troubled mind, as Enchiridion 1 taught us. This lesson is so simple, yet we will see it repeatedly within the Enchiridion, formulated in different ways because it is so hard to practice consistently. This fundamental truth can lead a Stoic practitioner out of a life of bondage to externals and into a life of true freedom and well-being. This is the path Epictetus called divine and blessed, because it is the path illuminated by the divine and creative fire of the Logos. It is the path of Stoicism on fire. Thank you for listening to Stoicism on Fire. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That tells others that this podcast is worth listening to and helps introduce more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you're interested in exploring traditional Stoicism further, you will find plenty of resources at traditionalstoicism.com. If you're ready for an online mentored training program, check out the College of Stoic Philosophers at collegeofstoicphilosophers.org. That is where I received my initial education and training in the theory and practice of Stoicism. If you're interested in a social media environment where you can find some like-minded fellow travelers, join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you have feedback for me or a great podcast idea, send me an email at chris at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue practicing the traditional form of Stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire. Fire.